And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a Friday Q&A edition of the Metrospective Podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined in the live room, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, as we wait for uh, listeners to sign on and hopefully soon join us on stage, let's talk about the latest with the Mets, which is another loss and a, a night off last night, and now heading to Anaheim to not face Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, you know, Syndergaard, who had been initially scheduled to pitch on Sunday. Then the Angels used a six-man rotation to begin with, and they're giving uh, yet another day of rest to some of their starters. Um, I suppose you cannot blame them. It, hasn't, it isn't like things have been going swimmingly for Anaheim uh, over the last two weeks. They have lost 14 of their last 15 games, but they carry a one-game streak uh, on the positive side of the ledger into Friday night uh, here against the Mets. Uh, and Tyler McGill, who will be back on the mound uh, for New York, you know, the, the game Wednesday, uh, a 13-2 loss. Chris Bassett got knocked around. Uh, Steven Nagosik got knocked around. Uh, it's really uh, frustrating sometimes when you're working on a story, as I was uh, over the weekend and into Monday, uh, about Colin Holderman and Steven Nagosik and, and how, how good they've been and, and how they got uh, better over the course of 2020, uh, especially during the, the lockdown. Uh, and then uh, Holderman gave up three runs on Tuesday. Uh, and and Nagosik four runs on Wednesday. It happens in baseball. Uh, They've both still been very good for the Mets this year. Uh, But, you know, the the news was better about Pete Alonso and Starling Marte on Wednesday. We'll see uh, when Buck Showalter talks later today. I'm not in Anaheim, uh, but when he talks to the reporters who are there uh, about uh, whether they do need to put someone on the IL uh, to make room for McGill, uh, you know, have they decided to to judge the roster. But, uh, you know, that... We'll, we'll see kind of how the offense goes and, and how the pitching staff recovers. Uh, this, this is probably uh, as rough a patch as the Mets have hit uh, in terms of health and performance uh, all season. And in terms of Nagosik and Holderman, I think it's comfortable to say you did this. You did this. Of course, yes. Yeah. But, so, you know, I, I, so let's so may, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what not to write, but uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, maybe there's maybe some doom and gloom in your future. I was also working on a story about Alonzo, and that is, defi- is definitely on hold for the time being. You know, you go like, I, you know, I knew I was doing the first part of this West Coast trip only, just the Dodgers series. And so I was trying to collect enough stuff to write some good stories this week. Uh, and, you know, the, the stories I was, I was working on were Alonzo and Nikosik <laughs> and Holderman. Uh, and here is where we are. So uh, sometimes, sometimes your plans don't work out. Well, yeah, best. I mean, I would put more of it on you. But I, on this show, uh, commented on Jacob deGrom's uh, apparent health <laughs> on the very day that we learned that he was not apparently healthy. Um, and, and uh, of course, uh, as, as discussed in the past, I am responsible for Eddie Coons never emerging as the Mets' uh, closer of the future. Uh, no one's looking to join us on stage yet, but we have a couple questions in the chat. 
Um, Nathan R wants to know, Tim, where can we get the template for your great scorecards? Which reminds me also, someone else asked a, a question about that, I think, in my Twitter DMs. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, one that I make myself. Uh, I'll, I will try to put it back on Twitter. I put it on Twitter a couple times, uh, a link to it. I will try to do that again to re-up that. Because uh, every, every year I kind of, uh, you know, it started with uh, just one I downloaded off of the internet in 2009 or 2000, 2009 when I, when I started covering baseball uh, in the majors. Um, and I've just added, I built it in, uh, in Excel and I've just added uh, all of these small elements that uh, probably don't need to be tracked, but I track anyway uh, when I'm there. Um, and uh, I, I really enjoy keeping score. It keeps me uh, invested in the game. It keeps me paying attention in a way that sometimes I, I find it difficult to otherwise. Um, but I'll, I'll try to put that on, on Twitter so people can, uh, can download a PDF of it and print it out if they want. So it's a question that we had on Twitter, and I can't, I can't find where it was. It might have just been uh, like a straight tweet at, at one or both of us. Was uh, why? I mean, you just sort of explained yourself. But uh, he wanted to know, and it's interesting to me because as a, as a reporter, you know, I was never really doing game stories, and so, or at least very rarely doing game stories, and so maybe that's why I was never moved to do so. But I never kept score. Uh, maybe I would have been better off if I did, because I think you're right that it does keep your head in the game a little bit. But why? Do you think it is such common practice for for reporters to keep score so closely? Yeah, I mean, well, diff- different reporters do it uh, differently and at, at different levels of uh, attention to detail and different levels of detail. Uh, I know there, there. I'm not going to name names. There, there are is at least one Mets beat writer who does not keep score during the course of the game. Uh, I think. Well, I mean, you you don't have it's online, right? Right. Like, I mean, you you, like, like, you can, it's not like you're not knocking him. That's just someone who's saving that pencil. Right. Like you can get it off game day and what happened at any point. And you can just, I mean, uh, that person just kind of like writes notes on like, this is, this is how they scored the runs. Um, to, to me, I feel like when I'm keeping score, uh, you know, I try to pay attention, not just on an at bat by at bat basis, but on a pitch by pitch basis. Uh, like I try to keep track of what pitches the pitcher is throwing, how the count goes. Uh, and that way I can see like, you know, I will notice things earlier, like, Oh, he's gone to this many three ball counts or this many Oh, and two counts. Uh, I will notice that, oh, he's throwing this pitch a lot more often than he is than, than he's usually done. Uh, this pitch is what his, his out pitch is. This is how he's working a lineup the second time through. Uh, I think it really helps me in terms of how the pitcher is operating. Um, and um, to be honest, it, it's the um, the reward of doing that has been lessened a little bit by the by how starting pitchers do not go as deep into games as they used to. Uh, you know, when you had a starter kind of more often than not going a third time through the order, uh, it was helpful to see, okay, here's how they work. Uh, Pete Alonso, the first two times, what are they going to do this time in a big spot? Uh, you don't usually get that third time now. Um, but for instance, you know, I wrote uh, the story about Chris Bassett uh, last weekend, you know, Friday into Saturday uh, after his start against the Dodgers and how he, how he pitched against left-handed batters. Uh, and, uh, you know, I kept track of that all night because I knew I was going to write that story and I kind of had what his his distribution against lefty batters was going into the night. And then, you know, by keeping track of it that night, it would have been a lot harder to go back to game day at the end of the night and got through each of his, you know, 10 at bats against lefties or something like that. Uh, I think it was 11 right. uh, and figure out like how many sliders he threw, how many slow sliders he threw, how many curveballs, that kind of thing. So just keeping track of it during the game is helpful. And, you know, you get a sense of, Hey, they haven't hit a ball to the outfield yet, or uh, they've got this many double plays or, uh, things like that. So it's just, um, I, I find that, you know, the, the more locked in I am on keeping score, the more locked in I am on, on what's actually happening in the game. 
we have a couple people waiting to ask questions, but just one quick follow-up. Do you think that you would be, I know it's been a while since you've written for print. Do you think if you had like a hard deadline at the end of the game, you would be quite as uh, meticulous in your scoring? Because what I always found also was that if I was trying to keep score, if I did have a gamer to write that's due like at the last pitch, you know, when you want to run like the send the running gamer, then there's at some point you have to sacrifice your scorekeeping. Yeah. So I think if you, if, you know, since I, I put my scorecard on Twitter after each game that I, I'm at, uh, if you do notice, like I keep track of the pitch sequencing for the starter, but not the relievers. Um, and that's because of, yeah. that's that a specific thing. Because when I was uh, a beat reporter working for a newspaper who had to have a, a 500 word running game story due the second the game was over, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be sitting down and, and marking uh, what pitches uh, Koji Uohara or Craig Kimbrell were, pitch, were were throwing to close out the game for the Red Sox at that point in time. Uh, I was busy finishing the story, uh, and so. Uh, that that's kind of how I got into scoring it that way. Like I don't keep track of the pitch by pitch as uh, as much with relievers uh, later in the game because I'm generally trying to write at that time. Even now, I'm I'm often trying to write a bit at that time, whether it's about that game specifically or, or trying to make a note for something later uh, that I might use. Uh, and you know, in general, and this is maybe reductive. Uh, reliever pitch by pitch sequencing is not quite as interesting because they generally only have uh, two pitches, uh, maybe a third. Uh, there, there are guys where it is more mm. interesting uh, and it's helpful to look back at, okay, here's how he, he worked him if he sees him again in the series. Uh, but uh, it's not quite as immediately uh, tangent, immediately relevant as it might be for a starter. Dean C has been waiting patiently to ask a question. Dean. Hey, how's going it going on? guys? Can you hear me? I have no idea. Yeah. All right. What's up Dean? All right. So uh, I got you. quick question. I know the advanced stats like really hate Pete at first. And now that he's like, you know, hurt, for the time being, and they have JD at first, like a little bit of an experiment. Are they going to look for a veteran option, or are they just going to hope that uh, Dom kind of recovers in AAA and they bring him back up? Uh, do you mean in terms of like uh, a backup option to Pete, or a guy who would yeah, play there more of, often? In terms than... of a backup option, yeah. I know that if we had, if also we have like you know, if we had no DH this year, I don't think that I would even be asking that question at all. But in terms of a backup, you know, when he DH, like when Dom was up, stuff like that. Yeah, like I, I think you know, Smith is, is the, the the preferred option there because of what he can do defensively at first base. He actually adds some value there. Although I think the gap between him and Alonso has trimmed since they were in the minors because Alonso plays has played there every day and Smith hasn't. Um, so Alonso's gotten better. Smith has probably stagnated a bit uh, in terms of his defensive growth. Uh, I think they're they're okay with getting by with with Davis or or like we mentioned on the podcast earlier in the week, Mark Canna can play there. Uh, if you play Canada there, you can move McNeil to the outfield. You've got different ways to move guys around. I don't think uh, – I'd be surprised if we got to the trade deadline and the Mets were specifically looking for someone uh, to play first base defensively. Uh, you know, I, I think one thing that could be interesting is, let's say, you know, neither Smith nor Davis takes off offensively in the next six weeks. You might get to that point in the trade deadline and you say, okay, we want another guy to add to the lineup as a designated hitter, and that might be a first baseman. Uh, that might be like a Josh Bell in Washington or a Jesus Aguilar uh, from Miami. Uh, those would be options you would think about, and then who could fill that exact role you're asking about. But I don't think they're worried about it uh, right now uh, as someone like they need to go out and get to help Alonzo out defensively. I, I'll say uh, – oh, sorry, I cut off Dean, but thanks for the call, Dean. Uh, All right, thanks, that, this is, that is a great setup for my, my Joey Votto extraction plan, which is, <laughs> is still in the works. I think that, uh, it, I don't know, he's, he, he cried on Instagram the other day while, while talking about being a Red for 20 years. So it's like, maybe he's not that eager to get out of Cincinnati, but 
if you're thinking about a DH first base type guy who can uh, add something to that offense, uh, I'm rooting for Joey Votto. Kevin B is waiting online. Kevin, what's up? Hey, so with the relatively good news about Max Scherzer recently, and given that he's a maniac and uh, a physical freak, <laughs> what do we see realistically as the amount of uh, rehab starts he might make? I would think it would be at least two. Um, you know, we, the, the Mets in general have been probably more aggressive with bringing guys back without rehab starts or stints for, for position players than, than I would be. I'm, I generally lean to be pretty conservative in that regard. Um, but I, I would think, let's see. Scherzer, what experience do you have with bringing guys back from rehab? <laughs> uh, watching Carlos Carrasco last year. Um, All right. I, I think, you know, Scherzer's been out since the middle of May. Uh, it'll probably be six weeks before we're talking about him getting on a mount. Six weeks from that injury, not six weeks from now, uh, thankfully for, for Mets fans. Um, you know, I would think it would require at least two rehab starts uh, and, and potentially more than that. Uh, you know, well, D- Jacob deGrom is going to need more than that himself because he's got to build up even more. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't imagine a scenario where, where Scherzer throws one rehab start and says, okay, I'm good, let's go. Uh, and the Mets... Uh, go along with that. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say I, I can't imagine necessarily the Mets going along with it. I can one hundred percent imagine a scenario. Where, I mean, and I don't know Scherzer that well, but uh, I, from the sound of him and the demeanor, it's pretty easy to imagine a scenario where he like throws four innings and it's like, all right, give me the ball tomorrow. And I, I will say, I will say this about Scherzer: uh, like he he's not one of those guys who, if he were actually hurt uh, and you know were was not at a, a percentage of his usual capability where he would be helping the team he'd go out there anyway because he's max scherzer he needs to take the ball he has been upfront and honest with with the different teams he's been on like you know i can't i can't mm-hmm. do it we saw that in 2019 in the postseason with washington we saw it last year in the postseason with with la uh and when i talked to him in in february before spring training uh you know we talked about that line of knowing when you can take the ball and when you can't and how he's kind of found it over the course of his career that there was a time uh I think it was actually at the University of Missouri when he was in college where he thought he could pitch through something. Uh, and he basically, he's like, if I made one more start, I was going to need Tommy John uh, because I, I couldn't pitch through it. It was messing with my mechanics. So he knows his body well. Uh, so I think, you know, you do give him the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. I mean, he knew his body well enough to shut it down when he did. Uh, he knew his body well enough in spring training with the hamstring to know what he could pitch through and what he couldn't. Uh, so I do... I do give him more trust than, you know, if, if Tyler McGill were in that spot and were pleading to come back after one rehab start. Uh, McGill is doing that, but he did not miss nearly the, the amount of time that, that Scherzer is going to. So uh, I, I think, you know, you do trust a veteran like that and a guy who has a, a track record of being pretty candid about what his physical condition is uh, to come back. Yeah, I'm glad you made the point about him. And, and I was thinking about the spring training thing as well. Uh, Scherzer, you know, for as much as he absolutely looks the part of a maniac when he's pitching or, or stomping around the dugout, like he's a smart guy. And if you talk to him, it's like, it's, it's very apparent. Like he is, he's very much in touch with, uh, you know, how his body is feeling, what he needs to do mechanically to either, you know, make that go away or pitch around that or, or all of these different things. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope that they're careful with him, like you said, because you don't want to risk anything, but I do think that maybe you can defer to Scherzer a little bit. 
Uh, also because it'd be absolutely terrifying to tell that guy no. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. James Z has a question. James, what's up? Hey, guys. How's it going, James? Hey, so uh, I saw Brandon Nimmo, like, started the year hitting so well, especially to the pull side, and it seems like he's kind of shied away with that ever since the wrist sheath. So I was wondering what you guys think might be going on with that, especially in his contract year. Yeah, man, I think I think it's it's largely a physical issue with his and how he's feeling with his his wrist and now his hand uh, that he just hasn't. You know, we, we saw this a bit if you go back to 2018. If you remember, uh, you know, Nimmo was off to such a ridiculously hot start that season, uh, and then had like a, a three or four week stretch after he'd been hit in the hand. Uh, I think it was by Rich Hill, uh, where he just he didn't uh, he he kind of tanked offensively for a little while. And then, you know, once he got healthy again, found his swing and and kind of was back to what he was doing earlier in the season. Uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of that now. Uh, He said, you know, in Los Angeles, I think it was that uh, Saturday that that was that, you know, Friday night was the first time he'd felt good swinging a bat. Uh, And, you know, he goes out Saturday and had, uh, I think, two or three hits, got on base a bunch. Uh, I think it's hit in the hand again on Sunday Uh, and has struggled a bit since then. So I think, you know, it's it's a matter of strength in his hands. Those hand injuries linger, which is why I'd be a, a little bit concerned about Alonzo, even if he does come back in the lineup, you know, quickly. Uh, is that, you know, those those small bones in the hand, not having your proper hand strength. We saw it with JD Davis last year, uh, how it can just kind of derail your entire season if you're not patient with it. Uh, so I think that's what's going on with Nimmo. That's that would be my main concern with Alonzo uh, for the Mets going forward. And the, you know, the little bangs and bruises and the way they cut into his effectiveness, like for better or worse, that's sort of part of the Brandon Nimmo experience, right? Like he, he is prone to the hit by, by pitch. He, he, he has been banged up. Like when, even when he's been on the field, uh, there have been times when, when we know he's, he's nursing something or playing through something and it does cut into his game. And like, it's part of like, what I'm trying to say is, oh, if you look at the season line right now, the OPS is way down because everybody's OPS is re- is way down. 121 season OPS plus against a, a 129 career line. Like he's not that far off. It's just, this is part of it. Like sometimes you get the hot stints and sometimes you get the sense where the injuries catch up with him a little bit. Right. And, and I mean, he's still probably been, um, you know, and, and I, I see a question in the chat that we can transition to probably been one of, you know, potential all-star center fielder for the Mets, uh, despite uh, the, the recent slump. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think what you've seen out of Nimmo for the entire season uh, has been negative in any way. And I, I think, 
you know, we talked about it in the offseason about the potential of extending Nimmo or, or now it would just be re-signing him in the, off, in, in the upcoming offseason. And I, I had compared him to Byron Buxton a little bit. Like you look at their career wars over the number of games that they've played and, and it's pretty similar. Buxton has, I think, a wider range of performance where, uh, you know, he's he had last year where he played like 60 games and produced like four and a half war. Uh, Nimmo has never done that in his career. Uh, but, you know, when he plays, he is a very productive player. Uh, and you just have to take that. He's not going to be a 160-game guy for you on a yearly basis. Uh, we You referenced that question. Uh, Ryan G. wants to know, how many All-Stars are the Mets going to have this year? It's a funny question because, like, their best players, oh, I mean, Scherzer looked like he was certainly on, on All-Star track, uh, and then he got hurt. And and for, for a while, it seemed like Chris Bassett was going to be an All-Star, and then he's been ineffective. And, and so uh, you look at, like, wins above replacement. Uh, Jeff McNeil certainly has a case. Uh, Pete Alonso, just based on the raw counting numbers, certainly has a case if he, if his injury doesn't linger so long. But what do you think? Who are the all-stars here? Yeah, I mean, I think the the ones that jump out are probably Alonso and Edwin Diaz. Um, mm-hmm. Diaz has been, has been really good this year. I, you know, I have. I haven't broken down the like position by position. Look at it. I know first base is loaded uh, in the National League. You know, Paul, Paul Goldschmidt uh, is probably your starter in the National League, at least if if the fans vote the way the statistics <laughs> suggest they should, uh, which they always do, right? The the fans always get it right, um, right. especially if the Royals are involved. You know, I I, I just wanted to, I want to I want to defend that. Like, actually, recently it's been pretty good. Like when you go back and you think about that Royals here. Like, if you compare it now, uh, first of all, I defended that at the time because it's like, well, if you care so much, then go out and vote for your guys. Because, like, this is a reflection of how crazy these Royals fans are for the team at this at this time. But uh, beyond that, like, I feel like fans have actually gotten pretty good at finding the right all-stars. Or at least worthwhile ones. Yeah, they're... There have, I mean, uh, fans do a better job of electing all stars than like players do voting for gold gloves in, 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 in over history. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think first base, you've got Goldschmidt, you've got Al- Alonzo, you've got Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, Matt Olson's having a nice year. I'm uh, probably forgetting someone else who's having an excellent year. I think Garrett Cooper in Miami is having a really nice year. Uh, and he's also like maybe their best. Well, Sandy Alcantara will make the all star team. Yeah. Uh, Alcantara's so, gonna be, yeah. Uh, but so you've got all those guys at first base. I think Alonzo, because of the, like you said, kind of the, the, the traditional raw numbers is going to get there. Uh, Diaz as a closer, I think, has a, has a good shot. Um, the way he's been dominant uh, in the back ends of games. You know, the, the, I don't think any of their starters will make it. If Scherzer comes back in early July and pitches, you know, gets up to 10 starts before the All-Star, the All-Star break is they're playing up through July 17th or so before they, they break for the All-Star uh, all-star game. So, you know, there's a chance he gets to, to 10, 11 starts, uh, and that becomes a little bit easier to put him on the team. Um, like you said, McNeil, Nimmo, I think, are, are other options. Um, oh, and Francisco Lindor at shortstop, I think, uh, probably has uh, the best shot. You know, it's, it's probably Alonzo Diaz and Lindor are the three guys that jump out now, uh, and I would suspect one other would make it there uh, over the course of, of the next couple of weeks. And I think we lost Ted. I think <laughs> I think Ted's uh, uh, so I'm going to try to call up Paul S. Uh, put Paul on stage. Hello. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, so uh, last time I called in, I was happy with the catching. Now, not so much anymore. <laughs> um, and I see there's a question about James McCann in there. So I'm Wilson Contreras. Would he be a good fit? What would it cost to get him? And would they be interested in trying to sign him long-term since they still have 
McCann under there for uh, control for two and a half years. Uh, I'll start with your second question uh, or the last question. I don't think they would be interested in re-signing him long-term, not not just because of the presence of McCann, but because of what Francisco Alvarez has done uh, in mm-hmm. double-A Binghamton this year. I think uh, I haven't checked exactly. You know, Bing, uh, I think it was like eight home runs in, in a 12-game stretch the last I saw, and this is not like the deep summer right. of, of Binghamton where you expect the ball to fly more. Uh, so he, he's had a, a really nice year uh, at double-A, and you know, you're starting to think he might be uh, up in the major leagues by the end of next season, if not sooner. Uh, so you're not thinking you, that catcher's a long-term need for you. Uh, but, you know, Contreras is in his walk year. Uh, you're looking for, if you're looking for two good months of him to, to strengthen your lineup, like we talked about, uh, I forget if it was last week or earlier this week, you know, that's the biggest single offensive addition I think the Mets can make. The single biggest offensive upgrade would be from going from the, the McCann, Nito, Mazika, Triumvirate to Wilson Contreras behind the plate. Uh, the cost would be relatively large because of that. Uh, I think, you know, you're, you're talking about the same kind of prospect deal that the Mets made with the Cubs last year for Javi Baez with Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, it's going to be one of the, it will be a prospect, you know, that, that it will take to get Wilson Contreras. Uh, and you can debate as a, a Mets fan, whether it's worth it uh, for another <laughs> rental player, another one, uh, one, one specifically you would not be interested in resigning long-term, which is a little bit different than the Baez situation. Uh, but, you know, your team is in a, a position right. now where it, it has the potential to do a little bit more with that Reynolds edition than maybe the Mets were last year. Even with Baez, you weren't picking the Mets to win the National League. With Contreras, you might feel a little bit differently about that. But, uh, you know, and, and, and Ted and I talked about it uh, recently as well, that you know, bringing a catcher in midseason is always a little bit different than uh, just going, uh, you know, at a different, you know, bringing in a pitcher or a reliever or a, an outfielder. Catcher's got to work with the entire pitching staff. So there might be a little bit more of an adjustment period to do that. Uh, but again, the, the, the big gap between what Contreras brings you offensively and what the Mets have gotten out of that position, not just this year, but going back to last year with McCann, uh, makes you at least contemplate that idea between now and, and August 2nd. Tim, I've returned. Are you, did your phone die? My phone uh, overheated, actually. So uh, you know this, but the listeners don't know this, that I am actually uh, speaking from the parking lot of a Walmart. Uh, mere blocks from Ward Melville High School, uh, alma mater of Stephen Matz. Uh, and and uh, my, my phone was on my charging thing, which was on my dashboard, and the sun was beating in, and it overheated. So now I'm doing this while holding my phone up to my car air conditioner. This is the glamorous, the glamorous life of a, of a <laughs> podcaster. It's, that's still better than the time that I just had the, uh, the time limit set on my app, and I got kicked out because of that, because my phone said I was on, on the Athletic for too, too long. Uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, we, we, we have more questions coming in in the chat. I'm, I apologize for my... Uh, yeah, let's let's take we've got we've got we got another one from Dean who we had on earlier. Dean's asking about Andrew Benintendi, uh, who I also mentioned in that that trade deadline piece. Uh, I think that's another that's uh, an interesting name to to put out there as an outfielder. Well, he's going to get. It seems like he'll get dealt. Yeah, he's almost certain to get traded uh, from Kansas City. You know that that team is once again not where they want to be uh, this time of year. Uh, so I, th- I think Benintendi would be on the move and he would be the kind of guy you bring in. Like, you know, the, the nice thing about the Mets, is if they are looking for a bat um, come August 2nd, it will probably be as a, a quote unquote DH, uh, which means you can you can bring in any position, really, uh, and play around with it. Uh, you can bring in Benintendi, have him as, as kind of a fourth outfielder right. that you cycle through with one of the guys as a DH on a regular basis. 
Um, uh, and you can even play Kana at first to make Alonzo your DH from time to time. Uh, so that would give them a nice amount of positional and defensive versatility. Uh, Benintendi is having a nice year. And it might be his highest OPS plus uh, the last time I checked uh, of his career. Uh, you know, he had the one, the one really outstanding season with the Red Sox, but otherwise hasn't quite lived up to uh, what he looked like he was going to be right off the bat with Boston. Uh, but, you know, a nice kind of professional hitter uh, is the way I've always viewed Andrew Benintendi. Uh, right. Do the Mets have any, like, any guys <laughs> like that? Do we ever use that term? So it would fit in well with that lineup, you know. Uh, as, as not a guy who's going to hit fifth, really, be- behind Alonzo or something, but probably another guy who lengthens out that bottom half of the lineup for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, gives you a, another left-handed bat, which the Mets are not quite as left-handed as they have been uh, in the past. Uh, they, they look more so that way with Alonzo and Marte out right now, and they, they haven't hit lefties very well over the course of the year. Uh, so that might affect how they view, you know, if they are going to add an outfield bat, if they specifically target a righty or a lefty by, uh, by late July. But we've got some time before they, they have to make that decision. I would say, my, I guess my concern with Ben Intendi, I think he's a nice player. I think he'd be a nice fit. It feels like since they do, assuming, I mean, and this is a big assumption, but if, if all of Nimmo, Canna, and Marte are healthy, then uh, Ben Attendee's a nice defender and you're you know, in the trade market, you're paying for that defense, but I don't know that he's really providing a huge defensive upgrade for the Mets to their outfield rather than, like you said, just sort of as a, a he's a, a now he's going to be in the rotation, in the outfield rotation. He certainly would deserve that. Um, but the position you're upgrading is DH. And so you're playing, you're, you're paying the price for a good defender when you don't really need one. Right. I mean, I would, that's why I would put him behind some other names we mentioned earlier. Like I would prefer if I'm the Mets to trade for someone like Josh Bell, a guy who could hit fifth behind mm-hmm. Alonzo and offer some, some legitimate protection there. Like I think that would be your top priority. Uh, and I don't know how the cost would, would differ between a guy like Bell and Benintendi at this point uh, because of the different skill sets they have. They're not the same player by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't say Benintendi is the top priority, but I think he's a name that you have to keep in mind come that time of year uh, for the Mets and for a lot of other teams. Uh, what about my Joey Votto idea? I mean, like, I know it's ridiculous. I know it's going to not going to have any, obviously has all sorts of no trade, but like, that's a good fit though. Right. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Is that a good fit? I mean, that is a wonderful fit, uh, <laughs> both for the lineup and for uh, beat writers who want good copy um, <laughs> that, you know, you, you, oh, he's the best. I, it's actually kind of fun to think about how you would structure that lineup. I, I guess you'd go Nimmo, Maybe Nimo Vado Lindor Alonso. Nimo Lindor Vado Alonso. You probably drop Marte down uh, from your top four. You probably want Vado in that top four, or you or you hit him fifth behind Alonso. Uh, seems like that might be a waste of his on base skills. Uh, I, I would put him right yeah. and drive Alonso wherever wherever he is. Yeah. So uh, you know that's uh, I've been I've been thinking about uh, like teams trading for Joey Vado to get the Reds out of that contract since like 2017 when I was covering the Red Sox, uh, but. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, um, but it is fun to think about, especially with the way he's performed lately. That that his bat has really heated up uh, since he came back from. I think he, for, since he came back from uh, a bat with COVID. Stephen Matz's agent said there was no way Steve Cohen would add enough payroll to bring on Joey Votto. <laughs> just just <laughs> throwing throwing Stephen Matz's agent under the bus yet again. <laughs> um, Tim, uh, uh, we don't we don't have anyone else lined up for the stage, so that seems like a, a good enough place to to wrap up. I believe I've got a date with a uh, with a deli that has sandwiches named for Stephen Matz. 
Ooh, yeah, you'll have to report on uh, report back on that on Twitter. Yeah, I can't promise I'm going to have the mats. I don't know what's on it, but I'm going to go check out that deli because a lot of people have recommended it. Okay, I, I've heard you enjoy sandwiches. Is that true? Uh, I do, I do, um, on occasion. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk again next week, I suppose. Yeah, after this uh, series with the Angels, uh, when the Brewers come to town, should be fun. And if you've got if you've got a question for us to answer on that show, you can you can email asktedberg at gmail.com. You can get at Tim at Tim Britton on Twitter. I'm at OG Tedberg. There are so many media via which you can find us. Most of them uh, electronic. Please don't send me mail. Uh, have you ever gotten mail from from a reader? Uh, I did, you know, I got mail uh, once when I worked at the Providence Journal and I felt badly because I got it like a year after it had been sent to the office. Um, and it was someone asking for more information about the sleep apnea surgery that Mike Napoli had undergone. Um, oh, it was someone yeah, looking, you know, who, who was having issues similar to what Napoli had un- had. had. Uh, and was looking for more info. And I felt terrible, oh, terribly about it. That it was like <laughs> more than 12 months later that I actually got the, the, the mail in my hand. There's a passionate Mickey Mantle fan who will send you mail if you write something that is even like remotely construed as negative about Ma- Mickey Mantle. <laughs> um, that's all I'll say. And if you and if you like look on Twitter, you will find like many different baseball writers being like, "What the heck? I some guy just sent me mail about Mickey Mantle." But that guy does that. That's, that, that's his... you are such a you are such a Mickey Mantle hater. Everyone yeah. knows it. Um, it's all, all these people besmirching the name of Mickey Mantle. Um, <laughs> Tim, uh, we will speak again soon. I'm sure. Yes. Talk to you next week. Right, Till then. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.